Last week, Tosh did an eloquent job taking us through Jonah 2, and she spoke to us about prayer and worship and poetry and the practice of remembering God, remembering who God is, remembering how God has delivered us and saved us in the past, remembering his goodness and his mercy to us. And then at the end of chapter 2, we are given the last image, last and final image of this fish spitting Jonah onto the dry ground. And this image reminds me of how Jesus has picked us up and put us on solid ground. When the waters overwhelmed us and we were drowning, God lifted us. God became our firm foundation. Also in Jonah, we are given echoes of the story of Noah, the call to get up and preach to the city, repent, turn around. The image of water and flooding and how water brings the threat of drowning and death. The mysterious depths, the darkness of chaos at creation when the Spirit of the Lord hovered over the darkness, the dark deep. And then Jonah, his very name means dove, right? And that takes you once again back to the story of Noah where He sends the dove out after the flood, after the flood, 40 40 days of rain, and the dove is set back onto dry earth and comes back as a sign of dry land, a signal of salvation, that the waters have seized and God's mercy has brought a new day with the sun. Salvation belongs to our God, amen? That's the refrain in Jonah chapter 2. Salvation belongs to our God. And that's the refrain throughout Scripture, throughout the Bible. Salvation belongs to our God. In the Old Testament, when the people are wandering and forget who God is, salvation belongs to our God. In the Gospels, when people are searching, they're hungry for healing, they're hungry for water. And Jesus comes and touches them and heals them and speaks truth to them. Salvation belongs to our God. Amen? Salvation belongs to our God. And the Lord calls a second time in chapter 3, in our chapter. And literally, the beginning of chapter 3 is a repetition of the start of chapter uh, 1, where God says, get up, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim against it. Get up, get off your butt, go to Nineveh, that great city, and proclaim against it. This time... And it says, also in chapter 1, Jonah gets up, but instead of going to Nineveh, he hops on a ship and towards Tarshish. In chapter 3, Jonah does get up, but rather than running away, Jonah obeys and goes to Nineveh. And for us, that's probably obvious, right? You you just got swallowed by a whale, you almost drowned, you got thrown off a ship, and and you were in the belly of a whale, we think... Well, obviously, most of us would probably turn things around, right? If God says a second time, do it, we're going to do it. So Jonah gets up, and he goes to Nineveh. And what we see in this miracle, in this chapter, is the miracle of the gospel going out, of the word of God going out and accomplishing what God intends. The miracle of people responding well to the message of repentance and salvation, right? How massive is the revival that happens in Nineveh? Have you thought about that? How massive is this revival? 
we're given some information in chapter 3, um, and it's an echo of the sailors in chapter 1. People who might not have God, the God thing down, maybe they're not quite sure what to say or do, or even who they're praying to. They don't know what to do when the call and response liturgy is projected up front. The sailors, they don't know what to say when the evangelist says, Son, do you wish to be born again? They don't know how to respond because they don't know God. They, don't, they aren't religious. They haven't gone to church or the temple. Or what do you do with the loaf of bread shoved in the face? This is the body of Christ. They don't talk Christianese or know that throwing dice is not a common religious practice for communal discernment. The sailors say, hey, something's going wrong. Let's, let's pick lots. Uh, let's pick lot, and the lot, whoever the lot falls on, that's the God. That's the source of our problem. They don't know all of the things that we may know as churchgoers or God-fearers back in the day knew going to the temple or worshiping God. This is how you worship God. All they know is that they're on a ship, they're about to die. Everybody, pray to your gods. Everybody, do whatever, because maybe one of our gods will hear and will save us. So do it. But the sailors, they do know to value life, their own and that of Jonah, to value life and to fight for each life. Because even after Jonah says, oh, I know what's going on, this storm, this is my bad. This is my fault because I didn't obey God and this is what's happening. Throw me off the boat and everything will be okay. And their initial reaction is, no, we don't want to throw you off the boat. We don't want to have your death on our hands. So they continue to try to row ashore. They value life and they fight for each life. On the flip side, we see that Jonah's resistance is not willing to open, value the lives of the Ninevites. Right? God says, I love these people. Go and preach to them. Their sin has come to my ears. And Jonah is like, I don't want to go. Right? I don't like those people. I don't want to be with those people. I'd rather not be alive than to go. And so there's this, there's this kind of flip, right? intuitive flip that happens. The sailors who are pagan, who don't know God, are the ones who value life. And in the end of chapter 2, we see them praising God. It says they get, to the, they get on their knees and they praise and worship God in reverence. And we're shown in this the faith of the outsider, right? Even as Jonah is resisting God, we see that uh, evangelism happens, witness happens, and all these rugged sailors um, are praising God and revering God. And that's a big amen. And this is magnified. This kind of immense grace, immense plan of God is magnified in chapter 3 as Jonah goes to Nineveh. We're given the information that Nineveh is so big that it takes three days to walk across. Three days. And in our scripture, it says that Jonah, in verse 4 of chapter 3, Jonah started in the city walking one day, and he cried out, Just 40 days more, and Nineveh will be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed the fast and put on mourning clothes 
from the greatest of them to the least significant. If the city is so large it takes three days to walk across, Jonah walks for one day saying these words that God put on his lips to say to the city of Nineveh. If you're doing the math, he's gone um, just a third of the, what do you call it, diameter of the city. A third of the diameter. And it's one man. This is why I think it's an immense miracle. And it's a lesson to us. Because what are the reasons that we say no, right, to God in proclaiming the gospel or witnessing to our neighbor or sharing, sharing the love of Jesus Christ? There are a lot of excuses. We may say, oh, I'm not ready. Oh, I'm not trained. Oh, I'm not an extrovert. I can't talk. You know, I don't know enough Bible. I'm not ready to speak Bible to people. That's, that's for those evangelists out there. There's all kinds of excuses. Or, I am but a, a young man, right? Untrained, uncouth. How can I influence anyone? And the truth that we got to garner from this is, it, Jonah is one person. All that God is asking is to say yes and to go, right? All that God is saying, one man say yes and walk only a third of the city. He walks only a third of the city and he says this one sentence. I mean, he's probably saying a lot more. But it says that just as the sailors in the previous chapters go down to their knees and worship God, the people of Nineveh, this evil city, respond. They respond. They proclaimed a fast and put on mourning clothes from the greatest of them to the least significant. One man's words bring a great city to its knees. Nineveh was so large, it took three days to walk across. Jonah walked one day and proclaimed the words of God. And yet the word spread throughout the city like wildfire. How? This is the movement of the Spirit. This is God at work all the time in the hearts of people we don't know or haven't even met yet. We do a small part, just a small, tiny part. God is doing the heavy lifting right now in your life, in the person you work with, your neighbor, someone in your fantasy football league, your boss, a person at your bus stop, a teacher at your child's school, your arch nemesis at work, the jerk you're constantly competing with, the mother who seems to be perfect and have everything. God is saying, go. I got your back. I'm working invisibly behind the scenes in ways you can't fathom. Just obey. Go and speak. Open up your mouth and see what comes out. Or just act. Just serve. It's not just about words. Just go and be present. Just be faithful. God is saying go. Jonah walks one day and yet three times the distance of proclamation is accomplished. And not just words falling on deaf ears, but on repentant, responsive hearts. God is the one who makes people respond. Amen? Amen. It's the Spirit of God that changes hearts, that convicts people. 
And we spend a lot of time worrying whether what, you know, this, this person does this. They have this kind of lifestyle. They come from this kind of past. They're eating this. Their language is like this. They're smoking this and drinking that. Right? And we worry. They can't. How are they going to become Christian? How are we going to invite them to church? They have tattoos. Right? They don't dress right. Right? They're a little like, I don't know. God changes hearts. It's not up to us to change people or transform people or change their lifestyle or make sure they conform to what everyone looks like who should be good and going to church. God changes. We just have to be there and be faithful and say yes because God's already working. He's doing the heavy lifting. And this is the point of the story, a big point of it. God makes people respond. The Spirit brings change to a situation, to hearts. And somehow the word reaches the king, the person of influence, and he makes a decree, right? The systemic, social, political change is catalyzed as the words, it says, reaches the ears of the king of Nineveh. And he says, neither human nor animal, cattle nor flock will taste anything, no grazing and no drinking water, let humans and animals alike put on mourning clothes and let them call upon God forcefully and let all persons stop their evil behavior and the violence that's under their control. He thought, who knows? God may see this and turn from his wrath so that we might not perish. You know, there's parts of me that are like, this guy is just a gambler, right? Just like the sailor. Let's Let's choose lots, and who knows? Just pray to all your gods, and one of those gods is going to stick. He's like, let's mourn, let's repent, let's fast, and who knows? Maybe God will listen. And for me, I'm like, that, that shouldn't do. That's like saying, I'm going to live however I want to live, and at the very end of my life, when I'm on my deathbed, I'm going to say, God, forgive me, I believe in you. Can I go to the kingdom of heaven? And it, who knows? God will save me, even though, even though I had this lifestyle. Who knows? Just... Roll the dice. Right? Let's just try this thing. And yet, I, you know, I kind of relate to Jonah. I'm like, those, person, those people shouldn't be saved. Nineveh was a military city that took over other cities that were the arch enemies um, of the Hebrews. Right? And they were violent in the ways that they took over. Right? Atrocities. Genocide. And the word comes and the king comes to the king and he's like, who knows if God might hear us if we repent. And there's real systemic change. You know, oftentimes I get discouraged when I turn on CNN or the news, and I just see like, man, we got a crazy country. We got a crazy president. There's just craziness happening. And everything just seems to be political. Like no one's actually, like when a vote goes like 100% one party and 0% another party, you're like, are people like seeing the same thing or reading the same thing or are they just, Towing the party line. It's like, 
man, can we get some people with integrity or something? Like people really seeking out truth, really wanting to serve the people. What the heck is going on in our country? You know, we need change. And I look at the news and I'm so discouraged. And I talk to my other friends who are immigrants or refugees or people of color, and they're in hiding, you know, or, or they feel, I feel this, an increasing sense of, I don't know if when people look at me, they know if I'm American, right? Because what I hear communicated on the news and the newspaper and people who are just emerging out of the woodworks, more courageous and bold in their racism, just feel like, oh, maybe being Asian American means I'm not American because I'm not Anglo, right? And I know people feel that in our country. And it's so discouraging. It's like, man, when Obama was president, we were like, oh, everything's good. Like, unity changed. And then all of a sudden, did we just go back 30 years? Man. And it's like, wake up. And I talk to my friends who are pastors of churches, and it feels like that same division is in the church. Like, how can you think that way? Oh, my gosh, I thought we were brothers. What are you talking about? Right? Didn't, doesn't the Bible talk about loving the stranger and the refugee and the immigrant, the other? What, what is going on here? And we see the immensity of God's work in, in Nineveh, that the king himself makes a decree and systemic political change happens in this country. Only God. All Jonah did was walk one day in a three-day city and say, repent. And God does all of this. Amen? There is hope. There is hope. The person of influence, the king, makes a decree and there's social and systemic change. Who could have seen that coming? Right? God expands the word and the gospel witness exponentially when the one person is faithful. So, just to break this chapter down some more into, into a three-part sermon. Uh, first of all, we need to repent for our reluctance to go. God calls and we say no. We say, not now, God, or I'm not worthy, God, or after I finish this, God, or straight up, I like this too much to let it go, God. You forgive me, right? We must repent for our reluctance to go. We must repent for our reluctance to be faithful. We must repent for our reluctance to speak truth, to speak prophetically and with love to a hurting world. Because when we do go, good things happen. You gotta go. It's an opportunity to witness the immense power of God at work. 
how immense. Amen? Number two, we need to repent of loving discriminately. We need to repent for our racial prejudices, for our social economic elitism, for our tendency to rank and categorize sin and lifestyles. This is okay, but that, that, let's get this right. Jonah wasn't afraid. It wasn't about fear for Jonah. That's not why he said, I don't want to go to Nineveh. He wasn't scared of its immensity or how violent the people were, nor did he have fear of speaking in front of people or speaking truth to people. Jonah simply disliked the people of Nineveh. It's who they were that Jonah was prejudiced against. His refusal was one of not bringing the word of God to this particular city, this particular people. He didn't want God's salvation narrative to include the people of Nineveh. Are there ways our own hearts are small towards those others? Are you with me, church? Who? Who is undeserving of God's grace and mercy? Whose lifestyle is too far outside our capacity for grace? God's love for humanity encompasses the entire world. All people. God wants to save all of his children all over the world. Not just in the new U.S., not just in the Western Hemisphere, not just in the Northern Hemisphere. All people. And you know what? People is people. Right? Our, our hearts are naturally tribal. We only have room for those like us those within our family, within our tribe. Or we only have room to, uh, for, for certain acceptable sins. But God, not that. I don't want to deal with that. That? God is the Father of all, and he calls us, the church, not to be birds of a feather flocking together, but he wants us to be the church of birds of many different feathers flocking together. Amen? And when people see many, many feathers flocking together, I'm trying to work with this metaphor, many feathers flocking together, that witnesses to God's immense power. Because the world is not used to that. That just doesn't happen. Amen? And if anyone should do it, it's the people of God. It's to be the people, Jesus' people, who represent a reconciliation and a unity that the world does not understand. That is not possible. Birds of a different feather flock together. Amen? And then finally, God is a God of second chances and third chances and fourth chances. After the storm, after the fish, after ultimately trying to get away from the presence of God to hide, to press reset, right? Jonah is given a reset or mulligan or a do-over or try again. And I think that's the beauty of the repetition in chapter 3, repeating exactly chapter 1, because it, it conveys that God is a God of second chances, Right? The word of the Lord came once again. Rise, go to Nineveh. 
And this time, Jonah does rise, doesn't go to Tarshish, but goes to Nineveh. God is a God of second chances, amen? Ultimately, try, uh, where was that? God gives us second chances because he cares about the one. God is a God who will leave the 99 for the one, right? And so I think the message in Jonah is you, he loves you. He loves you as an individual, right? Your faith, your walk, it's all about you. At the same time, God sends the one to save the 99, right? One Jonah, entire city of Nineveh. The stakes are high, but the potential fruit is immeasurable. And our faithfulness matters, and our faithlessness matters. Amen? God cares about Jonah enough to give him a second chance. But also, right, God is interested in Nineveh, the many. He has a heart both for you, the individual, and for the entire world. And it matters. All of it matters to him. And so there is an in and out here. It's the story of Jonah and his second chances. And it's the story of, right, God is going to do what he's going to do no matter what. Right? And we just have to do a little, we're just a pin drop, our effort. And the rest is God. And, we, and the question is, do you want to participate in what God is already doing has been doing and is going to do. We just have to, we just have a surfboard and the waves are like kicking. And you just gotta catch, you just gotta get on that wave and it's gonna do the rest, right? Hop on the wave on your surfboard. You don't even have to wax your surfboard, right? These waves are like, there's no rocks. It's just gonna, well, may, there might be rocks, but the wave is gonna protect you. Just ride the wave. I get caught up in my metaphors and just let it go. Finally, we need to have an urgency. Okay, it's a four-point sermon. We need to have an urgency about sharing the gospel. An urgency! Right? Go! Not because of some Protestant work ethic or, you know, perfectionism or being a performance-oriented, but because, right, when we are urgent, when we pray, when we listen, when we get up and go, we get to witness God do immense things. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for this church. Um, thank you for Renew. Give us a heart for people that are not like us. Give us a heart to go to places where we feel uncomfortable, to rub elbows with um, groups of people uh, who we don't like, who we dislike, who are other than us, who are those sinful people, who, uh, yeah, who seem so far from uh, what, what is in our comfort zone. And show us, um, show us your love and your immense grace and mercy. Thank you that you're a God of second chances, that, um, yeah, that you've called us over and over, that you've invited us again and again, and you're still there with arms wide open.
to receive us, to help us, to lift us up, to encourage us and to send us. Send all of us from this place on the wave because you've been at work. Your spirit is at work in the people around us. A friend, a neighbor, a family member, their hearts have been tenderized by you. And even a word or a minute spent or an, a gesture of kindness uh, could be this thing that, that catalyzes um, the growth, the fruition of the seeds that you've been planting. Help us to be faithful and to just say yes. Doesn't have to be epic, just faithfulness. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.